Hello, and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. In this episode of Metal Movers, we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite subjects, aluminum scrap, and particularly the ever-exciting world of Zorba. Uh, my name is Blake Herdick. I'm the editorial manager of Metals um, at Argus Media, and I'm joined here today by our senior aluminum reporter, uh, John Betts. How's it going, John? Hey, it's, it's, it's going good. So Zorba, uh, for the uninitiated, um, what is this, this mysterious-sounding uh, scrap grade we care so much about? Well, as far as aluminum uh, and recycling go, uh, UBC is, you know, beverage cans. They're like the poster child. Everybody is uh, aware of that. Everybody had, you know, let's recycle campaigns when they were like, you know, in middle school. And and we've all seen the educational adverts from, you know, the government and from, uh, you know, pe- people trying to encourage us to recycle. But Zorba is another side of that coin uh, as far as aluminum goes and, and how recyclable aluminum is. Uh, but basically, anybody who's driven by a an auto salvage yard or a scrap yard uh, has probably seen, you know, at some point, uh, piles of cars stacked up. It's just kind of the landscape. You've somebody's, you, you've definitely seen it, you know, before, and probably didn't think very hard about it. But uh, that's the ingredient for for Zorba. That's the main feedstock for it. And basically, once those cars go through the shredder, a downstream system will separate the steel scrap in there from everything else the the non-ferrous scrap and that non-ferrous scrap that comes out of the shredder that's zorba and most of it is aluminum uh there's a little bit of copper and brass and zinc in there as well and also some non-metallic stuff like you know seat foam and dust and dirt but a good chunk of that is aluminum and with the right processing it, it becomes something that can be remade just the same as a can uh is so yeah it's one of those things i think we talk about automobile shredders um, as being one of the most kind of revolutionary processing, you know, technologies in the scrap metal industry, transformative really, but everybody tends to think of the steel and iron component of that. But increasingly automobiles, especially modern automobiles have more and more aluminum in them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the real advancements in that area are the the wrought side of it. So, you know, for aluminum, you've got cast and wrought aluminum and, and cast is you know, complex shapes that are castings like engine blocks and pistons and rod is stuff that's kind of like flat, like sheet and plate. And so a lot more aluminum is being used in doors and hoods um, and body panels. So that's going to definitely change the way that uh, the content of that is, you know, as far as Zorba goes and the ways that it can be recycled. Yeah. So we're, you know, obviously automotive is important for this. What impacts the Zorba market when we're talking about it from your day to day and where is that market today? You know, is it like most other metals we're seeing elevated pricing? There's a couple of variables that uh, set the Zorba price. And one of the things you have to talk about when it comes to Zorba is, you know, uh, who's the consumer? Because, you know, the U.S. market, we have lots of investment to consume it, um, you know, in the country. But traditionally, it's been an export market with uh, China and India and more recently, Malaysia being the big importers of that scrap. There's sort of a trade drama being played out right now, especially with Malaysia and China. But the the things that set that price are some of it is a little similar to UBC in the sense that uh, the exchange price LME does uh, sort of set the floor for uh, Zorba pricing. But there's a lot of complex factors on top of it because Zorba is, you know, it's very it's very dirty scrap with lots of other stuff mixed into it. So, I mean, 
the copper and brass portions are going to trend with the you know the, the copper exchange price as well because it can be anywhere from you know zero percent to i think as much as 11 percent red metals inside zorba but lately copper has been kind of a poor predictor of it because copper has just been bouncing around all over the place so when you kind of put those things together and you correlate them there isn't much of one but uh yeah. yeah, right now prices are about the highest they've been since October, um, and that's that kind of lines up with what the LME aluminum prices are doing. So, yeah, it seems like copper is more of a, an impact when it really spikes uh, and becomes kind of an out, plays an outsized role during those times. Yeah, it's a bigger deal in the export market um, than in the domestic market, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just been all over the place, and it's and that's why when you kind of try to do a, a, a comparison correlation with these things they don't line up and it just looks kind of odd. So, yeah. Well, and that kind of gets my, you mentioned a couple of things there. One being, you know, Zorba's not a clean grade from a perspective of it's not all one homogenous product. Right. So how do you look at it? How do we assess it at Argus basically? Like what kind of grades, how do we differentiate? And then how does that also play into who's buying what type of Zorba? Well, you know, I think the most important thing in assessing Zorba, if anybody's going to do it, and that we've definitely had our had our struggles with it as the landscapes changed is uh, making sure that you pick a you know metallic content um, off the east and west coast. We assess a 99.3 package, and a lot of people will say that there's no such thing as a 99. But you know in reality we pick up trades that that you know that the trade at parity with that price as well. Anything 97% metallic content or above will uh, will kind of fit into that assessment. But that is the real challenge with Zorba because when you, I don't know, again, going back to, you know, driving by the scrapyard, just driving down the road and kind of looking over your shoulder and seeing what's piled up there. It's a, it's a mishmash of different stuff. It's cars, it's appliances. And so the shredder feed, it's, it's different every time. Um, so Zorba is kind of a moving target. But I think when you pick a, a specification like we have in our methodology, it becomes a little easier um, to get a, a picture of it. But you know, I think the real thing is with China no longer importing Zorba for the most part uh, or really tightening its specifications, you know, everybody around the world is trying to pick up the slack and figure out the best way to buy and sell Zorba without their, you know, massive influence. Um, it's still going into Hong Kong now, but it's just going in a lot less volumes than it, it used to. So uh, it creates opportunities for people in the U.S. I mean, right now, um, the container markets are really difficult and it's been that way for a long time. Um, so there are definitely, uh, you know, processors in the U.S. that have a little bit more of a captive market because people, especially in the middle of the country, can't get their Zorba to the port as easily. You know, drayage is bad, trucking is bad, containers are scarce. So basically the kind of Zorba that everybody generates, you know, around the world, you know, it's it's going to be, it's going to depend on what they can get paid for it and who's who's paying for it so yeah well you know like most markets a matter of you know i think logistics have, have impacted every metal for the most part but i think zorba might be a little bit more exposed to it given how historically reliant on export it's been and you, you hit on china changing its policy um as one of the major kind of I think challenges exporters probably face basically their primary market dissolved right in in a lot of ways have other consumers stepped up you mentioned hong kong is kind of a midway point have you seen any other kind of countries or consumers really kind of step up to that or or also other countries following the lead of china in terms of getting stricter 
Well, Malaysia has picked up most of the slack that was going to China. Um, it's by far, you know, at least from the latest trade data we have, you know, for like late 2021, it's the the biggest importer of uh, aluminum scrap from the U.S. And you know, most of that that HTS code is Zorba. But you know, even Malaysia has has made some changes. I mean, they've now you're not allowed to have any circuit boards, which is a big part of of Zorba. I mean, it's not a big part of it, but it, it's a big factor, and people grade it. Because uh, circuit boards, you know, if you don't really want that in there, you want that separated out. But they've phased that requirement in um, on the 10th of January after delaying it a couple times. And then you can only have 0.25% of your weight being non-metallic scrap. Um, so stuff like dirt and, and seat foam and things that are, you know, in appliances and autos that, that get mixed in. And for a while, Malaysia didn't have strict requirements the way China did. But now that they're doing it, you know, it's become increasingly clear that other people around the world are probably going to follow their lead, especially because um, in that part of the world, you know, China's sphere of influence is incredibly powerful. There's been talks that they're probably going to push a lot of their neighbors to do it, you know, Vietnam and Indonesia, um, who are also big importers of uh, Zorba. People kind of talk about them as probably being the next to uh, make the requirements stricter. And only one of them has gone in the opposite direction. Indonesia has become more lenient on what they'll allow, but I think a lot of people, me included, um, expect that to be kind of a temporary thing. That That's interesting because, yeah, it seems like so much of what China has pushed for all non-ferrous scrap has been this term, what, like furnace, furnace ready, right? So like requiring less processing once it gets to China or whatever country um, and to see someone else kind of go the other way to kind of probably appeal to some of the lower quality sellers is interesting. But I do think, though, I mean, at least from like uh, most of the major U.S. recyclers have gotten the message right in terms of investing big dollars in more advanced separation systems, right? I mean, you know, the Schnitzers of the world, the Sims, the SA Recyclings, right? They're they've they've got advanced things to make this higher quality scrap now. Yeah, they they have, um, but there's always going to be an export market for people who can't make the investment or or won't make the investment, and it'll be interesting to see what happens to those players. Um, and and some of those some of those smaller players players will get bought up in the you know the M and A frenzy that we've seen over the past uh, you know six months. At the end of the day, though, you know there are some people who are only going to upgrade it as much. People are people don't upgrade their Zorba for the fun of it. I mean, it's you know it costs money and it's labor intensive, um, but it's weighing the costs uh, and the and the benefits of of upgrading it because. If they can do the minimal amount and, and export it somewhere else, will where they'll uh, do the rest of it. That that's was kind of the business model for a long time. So I think a lot of people are still kind of hanging on to that, but it's it's kind of going away. I mean, I think the last destination for lower grade Zorba uh, is probably is probably India, and I don't think there's anything you know on the immediate horizon saying that they're going to change and and crack down on that. But again. Um, you know, things seem to be moving in the direction of people tightening their their standards for, um, you know, scrap purity. Yeah. And you mentioned the M&A friends that we've seen, which we touched on in the first Metal Movers podcast we did late last year, focus on the steel side, of it, because the steel industry has driven a lot of this M&A where steel mills buying up scrap yards, which include non-ferrous assets, but they're doing it to secure the ferrous volume out of there. But we've seen a lot of consolidation. A lot of it centers around shredders, too. Um, is that something you've seen really now have a have an impact, I guess, in terms of just how the market's operating or is it a little too early to tell? 
I think it's I think it's a little early to tell, but I mean I think just fundamentally uh, the story plays out the same no matter what commodity you're talking about. That as there's consolidation, uh, there's you know some parts of the market that rely on some of those relationships with mom and pop and smaller companies. They're going to have less pricing leverage, and I think you know a lot about the domestic Zorba processors because in the U.S. you have two kinds of consumers. You have people that um, put that Zorba through a heavy media plant and they make a cleaner scrap package called Twitch. And then you have those that buy the Zorba and uh, their product they make from it is alloy. So they skip just selling the Twitch and they just use it themselves. And I think both of those kinds of consumers, I mean, inevitably, I think they're going to be, there's going to be some level of squeeze put on them as, you know, their smaller um, customers they used to do business with get snapped up. Um, they just, you know, they're just naturally going to lose some of that leverage. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether there's, you know, capacity in the U.S. that, um, you know, to see whether everybody can survive this, because I'm, I'm assuming that the M&A we've seen over the past few months, like, isn't the end of the story. I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's tons of rumors swirling around and I'm not going to go into any of those, but you know, there's there's some really big things that could happen in the next six months if any of them are true, and which would be definitely have a bottom line impact for those over buyers in the U.S. And, and abroad as well, but especially the U.S. Yeah, I think um, basically if you own a, ma a large scale scrap company, um, we probably heard your name rumored as being bought by another one or a steel mill. So. It's not worth mentioning specifics because everybody's been mentioned, I think, for the most part. But it's been a it's been a wild year for sure. There's a lot of a lot of cash floating out there. Um, well, and so, John, I wanted to kind of maybe end our, our, our talk on maybe shifting a little bit to kind of some of the new developments we're seeing in the aluminum space. You've been covering and tracking a lot, um, particularly around um, some initiatives from, you know, aluminum producers, um, one of them being the Estrella project or product, I guess you could say. And also Novels' an announcement of, you know, basically utilizing ELV or end-of-life vehicles um, more. And I, so what, what, what should people make of these kind of things where, where things are moving? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all pretty interesting, but it sounds, for the most part, they're pretty early days. Um, because I'm such a big nerd about Zorba, particularly, I was just like waiting on the edge of my seat for Alcoa to put out their, their fourth quarter earnings, because that would be the first one they've done since they announced Estrella, which... For anybody who hasn't read about it, um, you know, uh, currently, you know, the raw material mix for primary aluminum, pure aluminum, is you know, uh, bauxite, which gets turned into alumina, which gets turned into aluminum. But uh, you know, at, right now, um, that's the only way to do it, and uh, for the most part. And so Alcoa is going to not only take aluminum scrap and make high purity aluminum out of it; they're going to take uh, Zorba, which is among the dirtiest aluminum scrap you can find. Um, so it's going to be the, what requires the most cleaning up. Um, so they announced that in November and in their earnings, they said that they're going to have something ready, you know, a, a, uh, test scale plant, uh, ready in 2023. They say that it works on the quote bench scale right now, which, you know, is a little bit nonspecific, but, um, the 2023 deadline kind of gives us you know, an idea of where to look next. And uh, the Novellus announcement was was also pretty interesting. They're going to be opening up a cast house uh, recycling uh, operation um, next to their uh, automotive sheet finishing line in, in uh, Kentucky. And, 
you know, in the in the in the story, the uh, the release they put out, they said that they were going to use end of life vehicle scrap, and I got to interview uh, Tom Boney from uh, Novellus, and we talked a little bit about it, and um, and you know, the thrust of it is right now they're not a hundred percent sure how they're going to do it, but they're working with the OEMs to uh, you know the automotive OEMs to figure out how they can integrate uh, some of the scrap into the product. So that one's also relatively early days, but it does seem like there's been a lot of motion on this over the past three months, you know, announcements that I never would have <laughs> dreamed of being made, you know, anytime soon. So things are moving, you know, seem to be moving more quickly in that, that area. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, well, it's, it's kind of ironic when you talk about the scrap industry, which is at its core recycling, but you're seeing kind of at the next, the end user, whether it's an autom automaker or something with trying to reduce carbon footprint and carbon emissions in every every you know kind of link of the chain where i think you now see even more potential investment or potential for guys that are already recycling a lot of metal to even do further kind of new things to to keep increasing yield and use for end of life everything right so yeah it's pretty fascinating well good man well i, I john i love uh nerding out over aluminum with you uh it's always a pleasure i uh, appreciate you taking the time today um any final final words one thing that i wanted to mention uh is you know, kind of a interesting occasion that we're having the podcast today. Uh, the Argus uh, Midwest transaction price, which is you know the U.S. delivered price for for primary aluminum, that uh, that's at an all-time high as of today, which is pretty interesting. Um, you know, so these these markets continue to rally, and um, I kind of thought that I would get a breather at the beginning of this year after you know two years of COVID and all those disruptions, but 2022 sounds like it's going to still be still be a roller coaster. Yeah, well, I'm not going to hold my breath to find that quiet market time because I don't think it exists, uh, but that's what makes it fun. So, yeah, um, well, thanks, John. Um, and thanks for listening uh, today. And if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please tune in to our other episodes to learn more about the metals market. Um, metal, this metal movers series covers a variety of things. Pretty cool and really showcases the coverage do here at Argus. Uh, for more information about aluminum scrap or any metal at all um, that we cover, please visit ArgusMedia.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day. <laughs>